0: Were you blessed by the worship today? Man, thank you so much, and what a joy to have the opportunity to experience a little bit about what heaven's going to be like, I believe. What a great time of worship together. Thank you so much. I want to invite you as our choir is continuing to come down here to uh, bow your heads and your hearts with me as we go before our Heavenly Father, asking Him now to bless and to speak just as He has already in our time of worship together. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this time. We're grateful for our church, and we're most grateful for the one who is the founder of the church your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, this morning that our thoughts, every intention of our heart would be focused on Him. I pray that by His Spirit, He may move powerfully in our midst and speak to our hearts and continue to shape us and mold us and form us into a people who will be on mission with him, here in our community, in our nation, and among the nations, it's the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm excited about this morning. Already been excited to sit here and have an opportunity to worship with you. I, I, I want to I want to share a little bit with you about what I do outside of my responsibilities here. My other full-time job. Let me say that. <laughs> My other job uh, is at North Greenville University, and I teach a class there uh, that uh, I designed. I was able to write uh, the course description. It's called "The Church and Contemporary North American Culture," and in that church, in that course, we take a hard look at the church. We look at facts and trends. We look at the missional intent and the missional impact of the church, and I actually require my students to go out into local churches and do some investigation, uh, actually do some evaluation, some comparison between what they see in those churches and what the New Testament says we ought to be and be doing as the Church of Jesus Christ in America today. It's a very probing kind of course. It can also be a little bit depressing sometimes as as these students come back and report on what they see. And I'm always constantly having to remind these students, listen, we are not here to bash the church. We are not here to criticize the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. It is the building of Christ. In fact, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, we read that Christ so loved the church that he gave himself for her. So I need to say to you this morning, and I need you to hear me very carefully. As we take a hard look at our church, we are not here to criticize the church, and we are not here to bash the church. This church is the body of Christ. This church is the bride of Christ. This is the church Jesus loves and gave Himself for. So I want to make sure we understand that this morning. We're doing what we're doing because we want to be honest about where we've been. We want to be honest about where we are. And the reason why we want to be honest about those things is so that we can move into the future and become all that God wants us to be. So with that preface, uh, one of the students in... One of these classes that I taught on the church in contemporary North American culture, uh, several years ago, I required them to write a paper. And in that paper, he shared some things that I have given to you as, as the quote in your message guide. And I just want to look at that with you. You've probably already read it, but let me just read it again. The student, out of this course and out of our study of the church, said this. My question is, what makes the difference? Why is one church a place of total transformation? while another is a place where people are saved and then sit there until they die? What kind of church changes the community? And what kind of church is just there taking up space? I pray God will show me how to fulfill the passion I have for a different kind of Christianity and a different kind of church, one that really makes a difference. Now, folks, i got to tell you, that stabbed my heart because this is the emerging generation speaking. Uh, And and, and we need to understand that. We need to understand that these emerging generations, these students that are right now coming up through middle middle school and high school and college, They're not wanting to be part of a church that just maintains the status quo. They they don't want to be part of a church that is just marking time. They know what's authentic, and they know what's real. And they want to see a church that's making a difference in its community in its nation and among the nations. And I can tell you from the students I work with day in and day out at North Greenville University, they will flock to a church like that. They will not go to a church that's not making any kind of difference. They don't want to be part of a church where you just sit and celebrate until you die. They don't want to be part of a church that just takes up space, waiting until we all get to heaven. They want to be part of a truly transformational church. Now, since the first of this year, you've probably been hearing the word transformation a lot, and that's been intentional. It's been an intentional effort on our part to get this word out to you. Many of you took the transformational church assessment tool that helped us to gauge our transformational intent and our transformational impact. So today, I want to address some of those results with you, but I want to do it out of a very clear and biblical framework. So we're going to be looking at what God's Word has to say to us this morning about what it means to be a transformational church. So I'm going to share some results with you, but first I want to make sure we're all on the same page and we know what we're talking about when we talk about a transformational church. So let me give you one definition. Here it is. What is a transformational church? A transformational church is a church that is full of people who have been And our being changed, change Change doesn't stop, it's a a continual process. So we've been changed, but we we are continually being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they, we in turn, can become change agents in every area and arena of life that we touch. That's what it means to be a transformational church. And if, if, I, can use the, if I can use this morning a bull-riding analogy, if you'll let me do that, if I can use a bull-riding analogy, this is something that we need to understand right out of the chute. You with me? Right out of the chute. If Christianity is about anything at all, if it is about anything at all, it is about change. It is about radical, revolutionary change. But, but we tend, as individuals and as the body of Christ, we tend to resist change many times. And the, the reason why we tend to resist change. In our lives and in our churches is because we have become very comfortable with making Jesus Christ an addition to our lives. Do you understand what I mean by that? We have added Jesus to our lives, we have added Him as an addition to everything else we are doing. Now, everything we, else we are doing may not have really changed much. Our priorities may not have really changed much. The things we're pursuing may not have really changed much. The overall pattern of our lives may not have really changed much. Our attitudes may not have changed much. But, brother, we've been to church. And we have Jesus. Can I say to you this morning... That is not New Testament Christianity. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross to become an addition to our lives. He died on the cross that he might transform all of life. That he might bring radical change to all of life and that includes his body, the church. So how then do we become a transformational church? How do we become a people that have been and are being radically changed by the gospel so that we become change agents in every area and arena of life that we touch? How does that that happen? How, How do we get past this point of just sitting here, taking up space, marking time until we die and go to heaven? And how do we become a truly transformed people and transformational church? Well, the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus is going to give us some help with that this morning. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, we're going to see the marks of a transformational church. Now, there might be a lot of other things we could say about a transformational church, but I do know this, if we don't get these four things right, if these four things do not characterize who we are as individuals and as the people of God, we're not going anywhere. it it would mean we haven't been transformed. And if we haven't been transformed, we're not going to be able to be that transformational people that Christ has called us to be. So I want us to look at these this morning, the marks of a transformational church. And in these things that I'm going to share with you, I'll be picking out some things from The Transformational Church Assessment Tool, you can read them there. I've I've tried to give some of those to you, and I'll be commenting on them, but our, our main thrust is going to be with what God's Word has to say to us this morning. And here's the first one, the first mark of a transformational church. In a transformational church, there is an obsession with the mission of God and the cause of Christ. In a transformational church, there is an obsession. I've chosen that word very carefully. There is an obsession with the mission of God and the cause of Christ. In other words, in a truly transformational church, everything else, everything else, individual uh, interests, personal preferences... Types of programming, styles of worship, organizational structure, you name it, in a transformational church, all of that is subordinated to and is driven by the mission of God and the cause of Jesus Christ. One of the most important things that came out of our teacap, and by the way, I, I've just got to say this. I... I My my title for this sermon is not very inspiring. I realize Mark's of a transformational church. Kevin Batson had the best suggestion for a title. He suggested that we entitle it Letting the Tea Cat Out of the Bag. I thought that was great. (laughs) I probably should have used it. Maybe more people would have been here this morning if I'd used Kevin's title instead of mine. But, but I love that. That's kind of what we're going to do. We're, we're we're letting the tea cat out of the bag. And one of the things that came out of the bag was the fact that we're 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 still we're just still a little fuzzy on our mission. We're 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 still just not really clear on our purpose. What what we're really here for. And and we need to deal with this because the Word of God says we'll never be a transformational people or a transformational church until the mission of God and the cause of Christ becomes our obsession. And that's what Paul's telling us here in Ephesians chapter 4, the first verse. Look at this with me. Paul writing says, so I, the prisoner for the Lord, and he was in prison when he Uh, Many believe when he wrote this letter, I appeal to you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the very first things we need to understand and grasp and get a good feel on is that we have a calling, we have a purpose. We have a God-ordained mission that has been given to us. And that mission must be our obsession. It must override everything else in our lives and everything else in the church. Uh, Paul says, I appeal to you. Depending on what translation you may have this morning, it may be variously translated, I urge you, or I exhort you, or I beg you, or I implore you, but I like this word appeal. Paul says, I appeal. I'm making an appeal. I like that word because this word, as it was originally used in Paul's day, was a legal term, It was a word used by attorneys with their clients to stress the importance of providing evidence that could stand up under the scrutiny of a court of law. So when Paul says, I appeal to you, he's saying, listen, church at Ephesus and church at Taylor's, I need to see the proof that you're really who you say you are as a Christian. I need a sworn testimony that will validate the claim you're making to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, This is the incontrovertible proof. This is the irrefutable testimony. This is the unassailable evidence. You're living a life worthy of your calling, your purpose, your mission. This is the proof. The mission of God and the cause of Christ is your obsession. So we really need to ask this morning, okay, what is the mission of God? What is it that God is about if we need to be obsessed with that? Well, we could say it a lot of different ways, but I want to stay in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Look at these verses with me for just a moment. It says this, "...and He, that is God, made known to us the mystery of His will." according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to, watch this now, it's underlined, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. I believe this is one of the most critically important statements in all of scripture. I've underlined some words for you there because Paul is saying God's will, God's pleasure, God's purpose, God's mission is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together underneath the authority and the rule of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what God's after. That's God's purpose that's his mission and that's what we must be after that's what we must be passionate about that is what we must be obsessed with and I'm going to tell you this morning that if we were truly obsessed with that with the mission of God and the cause of Christ we wouldn't be obsessing over a lot of the other things we're obsessing over We wouldn't be worried about what we want because we would always be asking, God, what do you want? Uh, We we wouldn't be worried about what's the will of this particular group. No, we would be worried about what's the will of God. We, We would never be trying to determine the mind of the congregation because we would be too consumed with trying to find the mind of God in everything. We would be obsessed with the mission of bringing everything together under the lordship of Christ in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our nation, and among the nations. And so... The TCAT said, we, we're, we're just a little fuzzy about that. We're not, we're not so, so there has been a renewed emphasis. I hope you have seen it and, and heard it and sensed it. There's, there's been a renewed emphasis that we've been trying to push on our own church's mission statement because it is our link into the mission of God. And we realize we need to be letting that, the fact that our, our, we're here to, to encounter God and equip believers so that we can engage the world, that we, we've got to understand as a body here that, that that has got to drive everything that we do. It's got to inform every single decision that we make. That's what we're here for. That's our mission and, it, and we can't just nod our head to it. We can't just see it as a nice thing that's on our letterhead and our, our mail outs. This is who we are. As we encounter God and as, as we become equipped as followers of Jesus Christ to engage our world, that has to become our obsession. That through those means, we have a part in bringing everything together under the Lordship. Of Jesus Christ. Your lost neighbors need to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Your lost co-workers need to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This community needs to hear that there is a Lord Jesus Christ and they need to submit to his authority. Our nation needs to hear that. The nations need to hear that. This must become, church, our obsession. And we've got to stop obsessing over some of the other things we're obsessing over. This is what brings us together. This is why we're here. This is why Christ died. So that all things in heaven and on earth might be brought together under one head. And That's got to become our obsession. That's the first thing. And we've got to settle that right out of the chute. There's a second thing I want to say and point out from Ephesians chapter 2. And that is, in a transformational church, oh, this is so important. In a transformational church, there is a unity. There is a harmony, and there is a love that undergirds and overspreads everything. Everything. Now, I told you, I want to be real honest with you this morning, and one of the things that came out of the TCAT and one of the things that came out of our focus groups is that there is still some residual hurt, there's still some anger, in our church, over things that have happened in the past. Uh, We need to be honest about that. Uh, There's been an erosion of trust in leadership because of some things that have happened. Now, I'm not telling you this. You told us this. And we're trying to listen. And because of these things, there has been some disunity and there's been some division. And uh, when I talk about division, let me say I'm not just talking about division over decisions that might have been made or things that might have happened. There's absolutely and certainly been some of that, and that needs to be addressed. But I'm also talking about generational division in our church. Now, y'all have been here a long time, and You may not notice this, but one of the first things I noticed when I walked through the doors of this church back in November was the tremendous generational divide in our church. We don't do a lot of stuff together intergenerationally. And that's why I'm particularly excited to be in a service like this where we can see all generations worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ together. And 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 let me say to you, unless I misunderstand, this is the way it's going to be in heaven. I mean, I, I don't want to burst your bubble this morning. But I can almost promise you, you're not going to have your own separate worship service that caters to your specific musical preferences in heaven. There's not going to be a traditional service and a contemporary service and a modern service. There's not going to be a bluegrass service. There's not going to be a cowboy service or a southern gospel service or a rap service or an alternative rock service. Church, there's going to be one worship service. And uh, I might as well go ahead and tell you something else that some of you aren't going to like. According to Revelations chapter 5 verse 9, we're going to be singing a new song. <laughs> One that none of us knows. We had never seen the words before. We had never sung the melody before. So get ready because I hope you're not going to say to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I'm not coming to your worship service because I don't like the music. (laughs) Ain't going to happen. Just saying, right? So, we we need to be honest and admit that there have been some things that have divided us and caused uh, some disunity and and lack of of togetherness here. But I, I want... I want you to contrast that with what Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's not a lot I really need to say about that, is there? It's, uh, it's pretty powerful just on its face. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity. John thirteen thirty five. Jesus said, and you'll remember His words, This is how they, people of the world, will know that you're my disciples. He didn't say a word about our programming. He didn't say a word about our doctrine. He didn't say a word about our carefully crafted worship services. He said, you want to know how people out there will, will know that this thing is real, that you're my disciples, that I make a difference? It's the love that you have for one another. It's the way you relate to one another. It's the way you pull one another in. It's the way you encourage one another. It's the way you walk with one another. Can I tell you, people out there in the world get beat up every single day. This ought to be a place where every one of us can come and know we're going to be accepted and loved and cared about. And we're going to have a family here. So... We need a platform for, for healing some of these hurts. And I, I, I'm just going to share with you this morning that we've got some folks in this church right now, some of our own members, gifted, trained counselors who said, we'll make ourselves available. We'll help anybody who needs to work through some of these issues. We're here to do that. And and we're going to make that available to you. And we'll share with you how you can, can do that. I'm not giving you a lot of details this morning, but I hope you, you can see here in our response, we're acknowledging we need to do some things. We're trying to follow up on what we've heard from you. The only other thing I'll say here is if you'll look at uh, the last part of, uh, or if you'll look here in in these verses where it it says humility and gentleness and patience and love and all that, But, but really the most important word in these verses is the word one. It's the word one. Christianity is supposed to be a religion of oneness. Oneness. We're supposed to be one in our faith, one in our relationship with God and one another, one in our purpose and mission. And then the last part of verse 6, there's one God and Father of us all who is over all and through all and in all. And that, I don't know about you, but that's pretty comprehensive to me. Overall, in all, through all. So if God is over all, in all, and through all, that doesn't leave a lot of room, really, does it, for you and me? (laughs) In fact, it doesn't leave any room for you and me. And that's the whole point, I think, of what of what Paul is saying here. And that's why unity and harmony and love should be paramount in this place. It's because there's really nothing about the church of Jesus Christ that's about us and what we want. It's about Christ and what He wants. It's about His mission. It's about bringing all things together under His Lordship. And so a transformational church is gonna be marked by unity and harmony and love and it's gonna undergird and it's gonna overspread everything that we do. Thirdly, in a transformational church, there is a surrender of members' lives and, and, and resources to Christ for His pleasure and His use. Look at Ephesians 4, 6, and 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, these verses are a little odd. You know, we we don't really understand what Paul's talking about here. And you can't really understand what he's talking about here unless you understand a little bit about the culture in which Paul lived, and that explains everything. So let me share this with you. In Paul's day, you probably know this, Rome ruled the world. Caesar called the shots. And all Caesar had to say was, you know, I want to annex this country over here. And and so the Roman soldiers would go into that nation, they would defeat its army, they would overrun its government, take over control, and that nation, which was an independent nation, would then become part of the Roman Empire. Now when those Roman soldiers came back from conquering that nation, The commanding general would always ride into the city on a white horse leading some of the captives from that conquered nation in a procession behind him. Now those captives may have been some of the most brilliant minds from that conquered nation so that their brilliance could be put to work for Rome. Or they might have been some of the common people who would become the slaves of Rome and would build its buildings, extend its highways, uh, provide labor for all of its projects. But the Roman soldiers would not just only bring captives from that conquered nation, they would also bring the bounty from that nation, the gold, the silver, the works of art, all of the things of value from that nation, and they would bring those things and they would lay them at the feet of Caesar and they would present them to him for his purpose and his use. That is the background of this verse, and that is what Paul has in mind, and that's the picture he is painting when he talks about the fact that when Christ ascended, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. You see, when Jesus came to planet Earth, He came down, and he conquered Satan and his forces of evil. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he defeated Satan on his own territory. And he took all of the things that had been under the control of Satan and his forces of evil, and he presented them to his heavenly Father to be used for the benefit of his kingdom. And that means, my friend, when you became a Christian, and you need to understand this because some of us don't, it means when you became a Christian, your life stopped being your life. Your stuff stopped being your stuff. When you ask Christ to come into your life and forgive your sins and give his gift of eternal life to you, then Jesus took you. And he took everything associated with you and he presented you to his heavenly father and he said, Father, this is now your child. He no longer belongs to Satan. This stuff... Now, these things, Father, are now your things. They no longer belong to Satan. So I present this child, and I now present these things to you so that you might take them and use them for your good pleasure and for your great purposes. You see, in a transformational church, there is a surrender a complete surrender of our lives and our lives resources to Christ for his good pleasure and his use. But you know we we have a we have a hard time sometimes don't we with this whole concept of surrender because we like to hold on to things we like to hold on to our agendas, we like to hold on to our plans, we like to hang on to our stuff and to our lives There's only one thing that can break our grip on these kinds of things. And for me personally, this was probably the most exciting thing that I saw in the transformational church assessment and what we heard from our focus groups. And I'm tremendously excited about this because it tells us many of us desire genuine revival to fall upon our lives and upon our church. We desire that. We want to see a spiritual breakthrough. We're tired of the mundane. We're tired of the routine in our experience of the Christian life. We long for God to move across the length and the breadth of this congregation and do something that we've never seen Him do before. We want that. Many of you are praying for that. Don't stop. We know that we can't make that happen. This is not something we can work up. This is something God has to send down. And that's why, as you'll see, there we, we've been trying to, to place a renewed emphasis on prayer. We've been trying to say uh, to you and to ourselves, we're absolutely dependent upon God with this. We've, we've begun to tell some of our stories here in the worship services. You've seen videos of some of our members that, where God is taking their lives and doing tremendous things with them. And we're, we're trying to encourage one another in these ways. But until we come to the point of this complete surrender of our lives and our our lives' energies and our lives' resources to Christ, we'll we'll never be a transformational church. So we're going to have continued emphasis on prayer, renewal, revival, calling God's people to, to be what He's called us to be in these areas. Well... Finally, the last thing here I'll share with you as we come to a close this morning is that in a transformational church, there's a clear understanding of how church leaders and church members relate to one another and work together in order to accomplish the mission Christ has called us to carry out. There were a lot of things that we saw and we heard from the TCAD and focus groups that had to do with this issue of Uh, leader and member relationships and how they work and you'll see some of those concerns that I've listed there just being honest with you about your honesty with us. There have been some concerns expressed about how decisions have been made. Uh, There are concerns expressed about how staff and particularly the pastor is held accountable in the church. Uh, You'd express some, some questions about how leaders are chosen and what their roles are. And, and listen, all of that's fine. It's great. We realize we need to, to give some real attention to those areas. I'm not going to read all this. You can look at the response and see some of the things that we, we, we want to begin doing. And you'll see some of these things getting rolled out here in, in coming days and weeks. But if all we look at is decision-making... Leadership accountability and leadership roles, I mean, we could be talking about any old organization in the whole world, any business. They're all concerned about how decisions are made. They're all concerned about leadership accountability. They're all concerned about the function of leadership. But the church is not any old business or organization. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. None of us are. And he has given us some very clear instructions about how leadership and members are to relate to one another and work together to carry out the mission that Christ has called us to carry out. So look with me at Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. It says this, And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of of Christ. There is nothing more important that we could say this morning about leader and member relationships in the church than this. And there are several leadership positions mentioned here. Each of them, Paul says, have been given by Christ to the church. Christ gave, first of all, the apostles, those who provided the foundation for the church. He gave the prophets those who taught the doctrines that really grounded the church. He gave the evangelists, those who witnessed and brought new people into the church, and he gave the shepherds or the pastors and teachers who oversee the long-term welfare of the church. Now the question is, why did God give these leaders to the church? Now some of us may have misunderstood this, but the Bible teaches and teaches very clearly that God gave the church its leaders, its pastors, its staff, Christ gave the church, these leaders, listen to me, to prepare you and equip you to do the work of the ministry. That is exactly what God's Word says. He gave these to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of of Christ, You see, if you're, if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, then God's Word says very clearly that every one of you is a minister. We don't have a situation here this morning, folks, where some of us are ministers and some of us aren't. Some of us are pastors and some of us aren't. Some of us are preachers and some of us aren't. Some of us are church staff and some of us aren't. But we're all Ministers, and we've all been called to do the work of the ministry. So what is the nature of this ministry that you and I have? Uh, I want you to notice very clearly that Paul designates the ministry with one singular, powerful word. He calls it work. The work of the ministry. See, as a pastor, I am, I am called to prepare you and equip you to do the work of the ministry. Now, let me ask you a question. What happens when you work? You get tired, don't you? you spend some energy, don't you? Maybe sweat a little bit. So let me just ask you, when was the last time you got tired for the kingdom? When was the last time you really expended some energy because you were obsessed with God's mission? When was the last time you had to wipe sweat off your brow for the cause of Christ? I hope you realize none of that is happening in here this morning, right? This is not the work of the ministry. Please don't let anybody tell you the work is a ministry. You're going to walk out of here this morning without breaking a sweat. This is not the work of the ministry. This is the equipment for the ministry. This is the the fueling up for the ministry. This is the preparation for the ministry. But this is not the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is going out there and letting every element in this life know that Jesus Christ is Lord and that everything one day is going to be brought together under His authority. That is work. And that is hard And too few of us are doing it. I have to tell you, church, God has no use for a lazy Christian. He has no use for a Christian who is not willing to work for the kingdom. And none of us are exempt. The Bible does not say that those who have financial problems don't have to minister. It does not say that those who work overtime do not have to minister. It does not say those who have small children do not have to minister. It does not say those people who are retired do not have to minister. It does not say students do not have to minister. Nobody who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ has the right to say that they're too busy, too obligated, too distracted, too tired for the work of the kingdom. Nobody. Nobody. It takes all of us together. And if more of us were working together in the work of the ministry, then I'm not sure there would be all of these questions about what leadership does and how it functions and how things are carried out. You see, Jesus didn't save you or me just to save us. He saved us so that we might go to heaven, but He has left us here to do the work of the ministry. And if He didn't need you to minister, He would have taken you to heaven the minute He saved you. And the only reason He didn't take you to heaven the minute He saved you is because He's got some work for you to do. I want to show you a video right quick. One, uh, Kevin referenced it, one of the neatest things we did uh, that we've done since I've been here took place this summer in our summer nights together where across generations we came together to talk about these very things. What does it mean to be a people on mission with God? And what does it mean to encounter Him, to become equipped disciples, and to engage the world? And this is just a little snippet, maybe a summary of everything that i talked about. I haven't seen it yet, so I'm looking forward to it too. Let's show this video. I just wanna say that what we've been doing these summer nights together really is a direct result, part of the result of what you shared with us uh, in the Transformational Church Assessment Tool and the fact that we needed to be clearer about what our mission is and what we're doing and find more opportunities to come together and share in that. And that's why each of these three evenings in June, July, and August, We've been focusing on encountering God, equipping believers, and engaging the world. In each of these three areas, we've been talking about prayer and worship and tonight, witness. Just a small snippet tiny microcosm of what we should be about as the people of God, the Church of Jesus Christ here at Taylor's First Baptist Church? Are you obsessed with the mission of God and the cause of Christ? Do you desire to be part of a church where unity and harmony and love undergirds and overspreads everything? Do you understand that Christ is calling us today right now to surrender our lives and the stuff of our lives to Him for His good use and for His pleasure. And do you want to make the commitment this morning that we, across generational lines, across gender lines, socioeconomic lines, racial lines, we're going to join together, leadership and membership to be able to carry out and complete the mission that Christ has called us to be about. I want us to do something this morning. I want us to enter into a time of prayer. And um, I just want to make these altars open this morning as, as we have every Sunday. I'm going to ask Kevin to come and worship team come and uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap things up this morning. But I hope in some way uh, this morning that God's spoken to your heart. And I hope you've seen that we've heard what you had to share. And we're wanting to take steps to address every one of those things. And there are other things that are in the pipeline that you'll be hearing about. We'll never be a transformational church until every one of us individually become transformed people. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never in a really life-changing way had Him come in and radically change your life from the inside out. You need to make a decision like that this morning then. I pray you will. If you need to come at one of the points of this message, you know you're not obsessed with the mission. You you know you haven't promoted harmony and unity and love in the church. You know you haven't surrendered fully everything to Him. And you haven't been one of those who says, look, I want to join my hands and my heart with this staff and this leadership that together we might be the equipped people of God to go out and build up the body of Christ. Now, I didn't forget, about the results i just want to read these this is the invitation and after we read this we're going to i'm going to ask you to stand we're going to sing these altars are open but listen to what happens when we do this we do this until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of christ and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I want to be part of a church like that. I believe you want to be part of a church like that. It can start right now, right here this morning. Stand with me, would you? We're going to sing. These altars are open. You can come and pray. You can bring somebody with you, but would you let God speak to your heart this morning as we move from this place into the future He has?